Our text for this third Sunday and the season of Lent is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning with verse 37. Some harsh words of Jesus for the Pharisees and the lawyers, and words that teach us about the storm of change that can blow into our life. Hear these words of Scripture. While he was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him. So he went in and took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So give your alms those things that are within and see everything will be clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without realizing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And he said, Woe also to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your ancestors, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that this generation may be charged with the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. When he went outside, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile toward him and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, when we planned our Lenten sermon series months ago, we had no idea the storms that would be blowing into our lives in these weeks. Uh, the storm of change is a fitting thing to think about this morning. Change can make us anxious, can make us angry, can make us feel very disoriented and unsettled. The longer we live, the more change we see. 
Just this past week or so, I was asked by a member of the congregation to talk about the changes I've seen over the past 40 years of ministry. It was such a great question, and it made me think about a lot of things. There have been changes in uh, worship trends. There's been changes in uh, uh, worship styles and the way churches staff for ministry, giving trends. There have been lots of changes over these decades. And at times they seemed very troubling, but looking back, you realize that the storm of change blew in and here we are, life's gone forward, and life is good. But it also made me think about my personal life. And I have to admit, in my personal life, I do not like change. I like things to be in my routine. You can imagine how disoriented I am this Sunday morning. <laughs> You can imagine what it's been like the last couple of days for me. I am a person of routine in my personal life. For decades, I have gone to bed at exactly the same time. I get up at exactly the same time. And when I get up in the morning, I follow the exact routine to the letter. I get up, I get dressed, I go to the gym come back from the gym, I pour a glass of water, and I take my vitamins and my couple of medications that I take. Then I fix my breakfast. Then I turn on the early news while I eat. Then I go to my bathroom, and I line up my deodorant and my toothpaste and everything I'm going to use in the order I use it. And then I take a shower, get dressed, and come to I need that routine. If I don't do those things in that order, the whole system falls apart and I'm lost. And I'll forget any number of those things if anything's out of order. I have something that I've carried around with me for, gosh, probably 20 years now. Uh, it was given to me by a youth group from a church I used to pastor. Uh, I'd been on a mission trip with them on a mission trip, there's nowhere to hide your little routines that you go through every morning. And so they got me an obsessive-compulsive action figure. That was my gift at the end of the mission trip. And I've kept it with me all this time. He's got a little mask there you can put on him and a little uh, sanitary moist towelette. On the back, it has helpful little surveys of how you can tell if you are obsessive or not. Uh, sadly, there's no question when I read through this list. My favorite is it says, you get up in the morning, shower, clean the shower, and then after that, your next activity is wash your hands. <laughs> kind of fitting for today, right? Wash your hands all throughout that list. Um, even list some famous people who are like that to make you feel a little bit better about yourself. They don't list John Wesley, though, who I take great comfort in knowing uh, was a little bit like that uh, as well. I know what it feels like, just like you do, to have the storm of change blow into your life. We know that. This is the year of the census. So I was doing some reading about the census just because... That's how I am. And it was interesting to me how much the world has changed. In 1850, 
It took till 1850 for there to be one billion people in the world. By 1930, there were two billion. 1963 billion, and today, over six billion. The world never has, has not, and never will stop changing. It is the nature of the universe. It's the nature of the world. It's the nature of life. It's the way God created things. Things change. But we know that from our own experiences, don't we? Relationships change, responsibilities change, opportunities change. We go from happiness to tears, and tears to happiness. We go from strong faith to doubt, and doubt to faith over the ups and downs and the changes of our life. We can be unsettled. Our routines can be upended by any number of things on any given day, like a pandemic or a falling stock market or disappointment in someone, disappointment in ourselves. And all of a sudden we find ourselves feeling adrift in the storm of change without an anchor. And in those moments, we face a choice. We can dig in our heels and say no to change, or we can look for Jesus in the storm of change. And we can find our way to the what's next for our life. Our text today has us hearing some of the harshest words Jesus has for anyone, for any reason, in the Gospel of Luke. Three woes to the Pharisees and three woes to the religious leaders called lawyers, both religious authorities of the day. Woe means, it's a word that means a lament for a future judgment, a coming judgment. A judgment that comes because we have covered up our own need for God with an outward piety. And we've pushed that on other people without ever letting God change us. Woe. John Wesley, in his uh, translation of the New Testament, his notes on the New Testament, he translates the word woe, miserable are you. Isn't that powerful? Miserable are you. Both in our own experience of God and of life, but also miserable are you in the sense that you try to keep other people from experiencing joy in God and in life. That was the great sin of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They didn't experience God the way God wanted them to experience God. They weren't able to change the way God wants them to change. And they were determined to let no one else change either. But Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to 
fulfill the law. He's trying to reinterpret the law and get it back to its original purpose, the law, the religion of, Jew, of the Jewish people. Jesus' own religion was a gift. It was a blessing. That's what Jesus was trying to get it back to, to change it back to. Instead of being a burden, it would be a gift. Instead of a weight, it would be what defined them and gave them life. The context of this story is a dinner party given by the Pharisees for Pharisees. And somehow Jesus wrangles an invitation. He comes in and he does not wash his hands. Now that sounds like it's right out of the news today, doesn't it? You've got to wash your hands. Well, this isn't washing your hands the way we are washing hands. This is a ritualistic washing of the hands. It's a liturgy of washing your hands. And the point of it was the, those who were offering the dinner party only invited other people who followed the same outward devotion that they did. And so when Jesus is the only one who does not do that, it's pretty startling. It shows up in a hurry. And so they call him on it. They call him on it. And I imagine they wish they hadn't. Because <laughs> Jesus lets loose on them. You have taken the means and made it the end, Jesus says. The washing is a means to make you aware of how important cleans, uh, cleanliness and purity is in your life. Washing is a reminder that God made both the inside and the outside of a person and that true purity comes from within. It flows from the heart. But you've taken the means and made it the end. And you're missing the point. Woe unto you, he says to the Pharisees. Woe, miserable are you who keep a record of the smallest details of the law and ignore the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor. Woe unto you, miserable are you who seek praise and power instead of praising God and letting God's power work in you. Woe unto you, miserable are you who hide your sin behind piety because people follow you and you lead them to the same miserable place you live. Ouch. As my father would say, just to prove that there's no cure for stupid, the lawyers say, hey, wait a minute, you might be insulting us too when you say that. And Jesus says, oh, really? Okay. And he talks to the lawyers for a minute. Woe unto you, miserable are you, who impose a complicated system of religion on people that makes religion a burden instead of a blessing in their life. Woe unto you, miserable are you, who kill the prophets, who said no to the change God wanted to bring. Woe unto you, miserable are you, who hold the key to the knowledge of God. You don't use it for yourself, and even worse, you hinder anyone else 
from entering in to that kind of life and that kind of relationship with God. God wants to change the religious leaders of that day. And they say no. They dig in their heels. They like things just the way they are. Some people take this text and want to use that as a denunciation of Judaism. Well, the problem with that is Jesus was a devout Jew, as was the followers in those early days of the church. As one scholar put it, and I love this line, we're not to hear this text as a club with which to beat the failings out of others, but as a mirror in which we can see the shortcomings of our own piety. It's a mirror for us. It's a call for all of us to be open to the change God wants to bring in our life. And the change that God wants to bring to the world, the life of others, through us. That's how we should hear these words. The reason that the storm of change can be so deadly to our spiritual lives is that it's easy for us to fall into believing the world's lie that I don't have to change, that I don't need to change, that the world doesn't need to change, that our understanding of what God needs from us right now should never change. We know the storm of change has taken over our life when the only people who need to change, the only people who need to get right with God is everybody else. Everybody else. Change is how God works in the world. Change is the way God works in us. Change, even though it's difficult, is the gift. Change itself is the grace of God in our life. How freeing is it to know we can change? How freeing is it to know that the people we love and care about can change? How hopeful is it to be able to believe right now, this morning, that God is still at work trying to change this world and make it the world it was intended to be, to make it the place God wants it to be. How empowering it is to truly take to heart the scripture that says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the change God wants for us. So one way to find Jesus in the storm of change is to embrace the storm as being a moment of possibility and opportunity in our life and in our world, in our church. We do not have to remain stuck where we 
are. We don't have to remain being less than we could be or less than we should be. We do not have to settle for a violent, hateful, divided world. God is working for change. We do not have to accept the lie that our diversity is a hindrance to us and that we're more different than we are alike. We can embrace the truth and change the way the world is. Most wonderfully, we don't have to believe any longer that we are unforgivable or unlovable or unacceptable because God is in the changing life business. And in Jesus Christ, we are changed and find new life and abundant life. We can be changed. Praise the Lord. We can watch the world be changed. We can even be a part of the way God changes the world. The storm of change. Look at it as an opportunity. Find Jesus in your storm of change and let God's work be done in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.